Hi there. We are so glad to see you here in our little town. You may have heard of us before, and while you can't believe everything you read, we hope you are prepared to enjoy your stay. Because here, anything can happen. So, lock your doors, set aside your assumptions, broaden your mind, and enjoy your trip to Superstition. Episode 4, Strange and Unusual Signs and Occurrences. The Journal of Samuel St. James, Kansas City, August 1870. We were three days out from Kansas City by train when the realization struck me that perhaps this expedition would lead to something far more complicated than I first imagined. John and I were asked to share our compartment with a fellow from Boston, also going west. And never before have I seen someone so ill-suited to strenuous travel or the potential for trouble we both anticipate. Been some time since I've seen John, not since I left the hospital towards the war's end. I know Mr. Anderson was reluctant to hire him, but I vouched for his skill with a rifle, and so he's coming along on this grand adventure. A grand adventure for sure. I don't know its end destination, or even its goal. I'm not a novice at the Uncharted but I can't know where to start when things are kept in the dark. But those worries are far for the future, and for the past several days, John and I have worried about nothing. We drank ourselves silly, looking towards the future and the past, and we talked of those of us from the New York Regiment who are still alive, and those who aren't. As I get older, it becomes more melancholy, and happier, too. This was the mood we were in when we returned to our compartment to find this third man. It was a three-man sleeper, and the conductor informed us there had been a mix-up at our last stop, and a gentleman who had boarded that morning had no place else to go. No issue. A train car seems luxurious compared to some places we've weathered together. The thought made us laugh as we entered, and we were laughing still when we spotted the pile of books. Who travels with a pile of books? Maps, certainly, and books on botany or geography or history, perhaps. But fiction? Philosophy? One has got to think, I guess, even on the road, just as one must dream. But thoughts and dreams are not so heavy. I was so surprised, and I'm hardly steady on my feet, or should I say my foot, and the cane I've taken to using, that I toppled the stack and it was only then that I saw our compartment's new inhabitant. Blast it all! Oh, you've gone and caused an avalanche. And you're hiding in it. It was bound to fail, I'm afraid. They all got quite damp waiting for the train. It's the fate of books to get damp, and my folly to test fate. Are you a librarian? Hardly. Here. Hand those to me. They're dry now, more or less. I suppose I can't expect anything else until we get off the train. Thank you for allowing me to share the space. Oh, sure. 
This is a sleeping compartment for three. Not three and a library, but we'll make do. Well, luckily, I'm not a librarian. Then what are you exactly? I'm a writer. And what is a writer doing on a train from Kansas City? They have writers in Kansas, don't they? I've never met one. We're not ghosts. You don't need to see us to believe in us. Never met one of those either. To answer your question, I'm traveling west. To California? Rather off the map, unless one is Major Powell. Oh, do you know him? He may warn against taking those along. They'll hardly fit in a canoe. Thank you for the advice. What do you do exactly? I'm a cartographer. My friend John here and I are headed towards Denver, and then Utah Territory. For what? For money. And adventure, I suppose. What will you be searching for? I haven't the faintest. That sounds like a situation where more knowledge might be useful rather than less. One could find himself on a hunt for any number of things one doesn't understand if he doesn't have a goal. Gold, perhaps. Water, certainly. Lands without maps, definitely. I think there would be surprises waiting in the spaces maps haven't reached yet. But you wouldn't read about them in a book. Depends on the surprises. What the hell do you think you're going to find? Something new. That's the point of traveling somewhere else, isn't it? I imagine you will see very few books in the next month, so perhaps I did you a favor throwing several in your face. I'll remember them fondly, and you too. A man can get bereft out on the trail. Depends on the type of man you are. And what's that? One without a name? <laughs> Samuel St. James. Sam, to my friends. Well, Samuel, I hope much luck and few books follow you on your adventures. Common sense is more important than luck, but I'll take what I can get. Except I don't know who to accept it from. Oh, of course. I'm Oliver Colton Bishop. And I really ought to pack these books away now, don't you think? Mr. Oliver Colton Bishop put away all his books minus one and left the car. To spread the joy of the novel, I supposed. I turned to John with the intention of laughing at the fate that put such a fool in our cabin to find his face lit up with something like admiration. When the young man had said, Writer, I thought he was a writer of novels, an explanation for why he carried so many around, judging the competition, or perhaps weighing their effectiveness as a bludgeon. But John, not a large reader of novels, knew him from the papers. A spiritualist. Have you ever heard of anything so ridiculous? Mr. Oliver Colton Bishop is well known for his research into the bazaar, seeing monsters with four legs or six in the woods, peering beyond the veil, perhaps summoning a demon or two. He writes a column called Strange and Unusual Signs and Occurrences. Maybe he's going west to find the best place to speak to the spirits of many other librarians. I didn't say this to John. He was enthusiastic about the idea, and I didn't have it in me to laugh at him. Living through a war, you either hope with all you have that death is not the end, that there is some chance to say one last goodbye, or you think the opposite.
Our carriage partner didn't return until after we'd turned in. I was lying awake, lost in thought of the future, the past, and my leg ached. I don't think he noticed my eyes were open. I watched him return his book to the case they were packed away in, then remove his shoes and jacket. There was a precision to his movements. It reminded me of the steps one takes to strip and clean a deer, or to care for a bayonet. Utility without thought. My last thought, as I fell asleep that night, was a half-hearted thought of good luck to Oliver Bishop, wherever his travels took him. He did not strike the figure of someone who would find great success when the going got tough. I could only wonder if he would find his way through to the end. Arrived in Denver to good late summer weather, a little rain. Mr. Anderson is two days behind us, so we've done some shopping and bartered for supplies. I've been desperate for new boots since Wyoming. Met three of the folks coming with us in the saloon last night. Francis Clayton I know well, as he outfitted our trip up north last year. He's bringing along his younger brother George to serve as cook, and Grace Sumner, a very competent surgeon. Good old Grace was misnamed. Never have I met someone with such a temper in my life. Not even my sister. They don't know any more about the expedition's real goals than we do. Anderson said strictly cartography when I asked him in Chicago four months ago. But we all have the sense that there's a more complicated answer. One spends money like this to find something, not just new maps. They have to lead somewhere. We've been told to get supplies for four more men, and we've seen hide nor hair of them. But one does what Anderson asks when he's paying your way. Mr. Anderson's train arrived this morning. He met us at the outpost with four men, two hunters, and one strange man whose purpose I can't guess, a Dr. Bradley. Though the look Grace gave me, back to my guess, he ain't the kind of doctor who can mend your broken arm. John, Francis, and I set to work moving their supplies and loading them aboard the caravan we'll ride south in. And this Dr. Bradley comments that he hopes I'll be able to carry the damn things without dropping them. I nearly did it, despite him. Bradley clearly wanted to ask what had happened, didn't think I could do the job. I may be slow if you ask me to run in a straight line, but we won't be running our way south, will we? This doctor looks like he'll fall right off his horse after an hour or two, and likely drown if you toss him out a boat. I'm stewing in it hours later, but at the time I said nothing, because I went to lift the next case only to be assaulted by a cascade of books. Again. Why in heaven is this case full of... Oh. Well, you were certainly wrong about something, weren't you? What was I wrong about? Here, I can take... How I'd be seeing the last of your damn books. Are you lost? Oh, no. 
I can carry that myself. Can I take them somewhere for you? No, give them to me. They need to go into the caravan, and they're quite heavy. I wasn't expecting we'd need a librarian. I am not a librarian. You don't want to hurt yourself. It's going to be a long trip. Let me help you at least. I ain't gonna stop you. It didn't cross your mind to mention when we met that you were heading in the same direction? I didn't know you. I still don't. I don't see how it concerns you. My employer hired you, after all. Your employer by the name of... A Mr. Ryan, a rich gentleman from New York City. That's not much to go on. The men and I all feel like we're shooting fish in the dark with no moon, and we haven't even left Denver. I'm a competent surveyor in my own right. If you could tell me what kind of... All you need to know is that he hired me, and we would all be going nowhere without his money. And what does he want? What have we been hired to do? You have been hired to keep us all alive. Sketch a few maps and to prevent anybody from falling off a cliff or over a rapid. I suggest you worry about that and allow me to worry about the rest. What have you been hired for? I already told you. To find something new. So new you're inspired to run off the edge of the map? The edge of the map is just the beginning, Mr. St. James. This is beyond maps and books and things that money can pay for. Beyond imagining. I wonder if you have any idea what you're talking about. Of course I do. I'm talking about finding the impossible. Good weather followed us out of Denver. The town and the fine white edges of the Rocky Mountains get distant as we head south. We'll travel a ways by road, and when we run out of road, we'll go by boat further south and west until we establish a base camp. After that, destination rather unknown. It would be frustrating if it wasn't so exciting. This landscape is beyond compare. Nothing like my parents' land, Upper New York State, or Chicago, where I've settled. I've traveled up and down the eastern coast and far across the northern border, but there's something to the quality of the air here, the color of the sky, that calls some buried and private yearning for wilderness beyond compare. My companions are in good spirits, all except the esteemed Dr. Bradley, a doctor of nothing, who rode in the first wagon and seemed upset his boots were dusty, and his two hired men as well. I was helping Grace load the last of the boxes, and we overheard one of them remark about our crew. Two old soldiers, two boys, a rider who probably lacks the strength to lift a pen, a man with one leg, and a woman thinking she's a doctor, he said. A fine gathering. Grace, having overheard, said that when he fell off his horse and broke his leg because of his poor posture, he'd be begging for the help of a woman doctor. And that shut him up. Last night, John surprised me with his fiddle, the same old thing he carried through the war. I can tell because of the hairline crack on its back where he'd once dropped it when gunfire caught us unawares. He was shy, but played a few tunes with the promise that I'd sing along. And we had a fine time singing old drinking songs. Even our trail librarian clapped along, though he claimed he didn't know any of the words. 
isn't quite the catastrophe I imagined, because I discovered as we departed that he can handle a horse. I grew up on a farm, said Mr. Bishop when I pointed it out. I haven't always lived in Boston. I can even milk a cow in a pinch. Sometimes people can surprise you. Of course, his sleeve caught while stoking the fire last night, and I kindly dumped a jug of water over his head to douse it. So perhaps not. Oliver spent his time peppering all of us with questions. He spent most of our first day asking after Francis and George's life stories, and then turned his attention on Grace. She was happy enough to oblige, and told a grand tale. A war nurse, whose husband suffered a bayonet to the stomach and died, who found her steady hands and iron will served her better as a frontier doctor than as a war widow, or another man's wife. She went west a year after the war ended, and never looked back. He moved on to me after several days, joining me in the wagon, complaining of blisters and watching as I sketched the sky. He asked after the sketches, for I've been charting the topography. My mother always joked I should have been an artist, but I was born in a time when the talent was useful for military maps, and so into the military I went. After it ended, the western country loomed large in my mind, far from the land we'd fought and died on. So, Chicago-bound, I pursued the only thing I thought I might be any good at, and enrolled in college to study natural sciences and cartography. When I got tired of answering questions, I turned it round and asked a few myself. I was keen to know the story Mr. Bishop was famous for, exposing the woman who pretended to talk to the dead. She was famous in Boston, so of course I had to visit her. Everyone told me stories of eerie cold, the uncanny voice she spoken, and the knowledge she pulled from beyond the grave. I attended her seances twice and pulled down the veil, as it were, on my second evening there. She'd built an incredible contraption that moved mirrors, opened doors and windows, and even knocked on her table with a press button. A feat of engineering. She had me charmed, until she spoke as my grandfather. She was a bad actor? He was still living. <laughs> well, did she at least give you good advice? She said my grandfather loved me very much, and hoped I would come into great fortune and marry a good woman. Which was very nice to hear, because I had until then thought he hated me. Why do you ask? If she was telling people what they wanted to hear, making them feel better. Were her services expensive? Very. But beyond that, she wasn't honest. She fabricated a supernatural connection for profit. Nothing about it was real. But there was a poltergeist that was? At the very least, I couldn't prove that it wasn't. Maybe someone slamming doors and shouting boo. We spent two weeks in that house. There are all sorts of tricks one can employ, of course. A cleverly placed light source and a thin falling stream of flour makes a ghost. But that leaves traces. We never saw the ghost itself, but it would move furniture while we were watching. One afternoon, I watched it systematically take every book off the shelves in the library one by one. There were no wires, and no levers. Should have hired someone to tell you about gravity. I tried to replicate what I saw, 
That is a tenant of science, isn't it? Replication? It couldn't be done. My conclusion is hardly definitive, but I could provide no natural explanation for anything that happened in that house. If it couldn't be replicated, it means it was an anomaly, or that you lacked the information to do so accurately. What's the supernatural but a scientific anomaly we can't explain? An enormous leap. Concluding that books are flying off shelves because a ghost is throwing them assumes that there's some kind of life after death. And you have proof there isn't? Seen a lot of men die, and I've killed my fair share. And none of them have come back to haunt me. Not yet, anyway. Try to sound less excited by the prospect. Only if you promise to write when it occurs. I'm not certain it was a ghost. But the woman who owned the house? She thought it was. She was tormented. She had no reason to lie. And that's what I'm interested in. What's real. Think you're pursuing the wrong line of work. Do you? I don't. Someone has to try and understand the things we aren't supposed to experience. Why not me? I write this by firelight. Smoke in my hair. The night is quiet and empty. The roads get rougher as we go. There was a time not long ago when no train came this far west. Someday trains will cross this great expanse, perhaps following that great black canyon south into wild land, and the government will finish the work of moving the tribes who lived here first somewhere they ain't from. But not now. The night is quiet and clear. Late enough that even our voices don't disturb the stillness. Off early in the morning, but I'll stay awake until the fire dies. Douse the embers and check on the horses one last time. Most nights I'm alone in this, enjoying the stillness. But tonight our trail librarian has stayed awake as well. He's writing in his journal using a pen that is going to run out of ink before we're through. I thought to ask him if he's writing a ghost story. But that would have meant breaking the stillness of the night. Hardly worth it, even to watch his eyes roll in my direction. So we sit in silence, companionable enough, both writing in our journals. I find myself watching him when I'm sure he isn't looking. His face carries a certain intensity beyond his years, though perhaps that's due to the fact that we're a week on the trail. He's neglected to shave his chin. I can't understand what he's doing here, but here he is anyway. Not a man suited for open spaces and hard work finding his way. He wants something. A very deep kind of want. I envy. I wonder, not for the first time, and I'm certain not for the last, what is waiting for us at the end of our destination, and if Oliver knows, and what it means if he does and also what it means if he doesn't. I can't decide how I feel about any of it. The fire is just embers now. I'll let it die and resume tomorrow. On the river for four days. I'm not certain how many to follow. The water is high, so it's been cautious going. Fast, but treacherous. 
Several times already we've had to port our boats and gear, for it's far too soon in our journey to ruin our boats, and travel will slow to a crawl if we have to walk. There's something to be said for the moment when you step off the roads we've made and begin your journey on the ones carved by weather and time and water. The minute we pushed off from the shore, I felt like I was shaking off the boundaries of things made by man and pushing out into the realm of things man just dreams of. The days are hard work, and my arms are tired from rowing, but it's rewarding. I track our progress on what maps we have, rough outlines from survey and hearsay, and sketch wild birds on the branches of trees until there's no light left. The nights, though. The nights. We dry our socks around the fire at night and catch fish right from the river we traveled in and all hope to God John's fiddle doesn't get wet. At night, when he plays, our voices echo off rock walls and get swallowed by the sound of the water. If anyone listens, they don't let us know. Grace tells body stories. Oliver tells scary ones, and he tells them like he means them. His latest tale was in my head, perhaps, last night when I laid down. Oliver's turn on watch, and I'd rode hard and didn't volunteer to stay awake to hold my rifle across my knees. I felt like I'd just closed my eyes when someone was shaking me awake, hands on my shoulders. I reached for my pistol out of habit, but it was Oliver's face looking down at me. Oliver's hands on my shoulders. Wake up! Sam! Uh, I'm up! What is it? I heard something. This is on the other side of the river, but I heard it crossing. An animal, or... A deer, or a coyote? It sounded like it was walking through the water on two legs. And there was this sound, like a laugh, or... There ain't nobody else down here. We'd have heard him. I know, but listen. All right, you got a point. Might be a cat, or... You take this. Come on. You were sitting out here with the rifle not loaded? I wouldn't know how to fire it even if it was. Would you just... It's closer. Hurry, before it comes right into camp. Give us a minute. I've only got one leg on. Oh, of course. It's, it's ingenious, the prosthetic. Cleverly designed. Does it hurt? You want the cat to eat you while you're asking questions? Can you shoot a pistol? Yes, I think so. Hold on to mine, then, and get me a torch. Maybe it's God? Don't lower the gun, but get behind me. There's something moving. Stay quiet. Christ! We both started at the sound, so sudden in the dark. I lost my footing and fell backwards. Oliver dropped the pistol to steady me, grabbing me around the middle. He's shorter than me, so we both nearly fell back into the river. I'm sure we looked like a pair of fine fools, me in my long johns with a blanket round my bare shoulders and Oliver in his dusty jacket and bare feet, grabbing at each other in surprise. Just a coyote. All's well. Damn things can get into the food if you let them. Why the hell are you staying up on watch alone knowing you can't shoot a rifle straight? Everyone else does their turn, and I'm part of this, why wouldn't I? 
A man's pride means nothing if his friends wind up dead, especially if they're counting on him. Maybe so. And you could have asked, too. Not trained in teaching, but I ain't bad at it. I can pull my own weight. Then we're all for one and one for all. Can't afford to be anything but. Dumas would be proud of you for that. Thought you'd appreciate it. I'm sorry for waking you. I won't bother you any longer. <sighs> I won't be falling asleep now. I'll stoke the fire up a bit. Don't make that face. Ain't your fault. Why me, anyhow? Sorry? Didn't wake up John or Gracie, or your doctor friend. He is not my friend. And would hardly know what to do to fend off a mountain lion anyway. And I do? You look like the kind of man who could fight off a mountain lion with fists. But I didn't know it was a lion or anything, and that's why. Meaning? I thought you would be the least likely to laugh at me. <laughs> me? Feel like I've done little but make fun of you since we left Denver. You didn't ask me if I was hearing ghosts or making something up, so I was right. You may laugh at me all you want now, because I did wake you up. No reason to. You made a good judgment call, acted with caution. Coyotes laughing like that can scare the skin off anyone. That happens to you often, doesn't it? I still have all my skin head to toe. Never thought I was so easily spooked. I was really convinced someone was following us. Or that someone from the camp was walking about all alone. I can't blame you. We're very far from anything, and it's very dark. Nobody asked you to have nerves of steel. But that's not what I meant. Folks don't take you seriously when you're talking sense. You write about one poltergeist and everyone you meet to communing with the dead before their eyes. And that wasn't what you wanted. Of course not. I stumbled upon prestige, I suppose, by catching the attention of Boston spiritualists. I started out writing for the paper during the war, you know. I've always just wanted to answer questions. A base belief and trickery aren't what matter. Knowing that our existence and what we understand is only a tiny sliver of the universe, of everything possible, that does. I wonder what you could accomplish if your attention was turned towards the world you live in, instead of the one beyond it. <laughs> you certainly aren't the first person to have said that to me. You're wrong, though. Thinking that isn't what interests me. I want to understand unexplained, whatever that is. Must be things you don't care for. Anything too well-worn for innovation or discovery. The minutia of politics, the patterns of romance and scandal. You believe the dead speak to us, but not in true love? Find me proof and I'll consider it. Aren't you similar, venturing west to fill in the map? Or is there a girl back at home waiting for your wild ways to end? Nothing like that. As for the rest, I ain't got grand ambitions. Just wanted to see new sky. That's what interests you? The sky? Sure. That and the bird in it, the water running under it, and all the rest. The war made the damn world that much more complicated. After it was over, 
I think I saw simple things as mattering for the first time. Don't you ever wonder where it comes from? How things matter to us at all? It's too damn early for theological questions. That's only one part of what I mean. Because any theology is only one way of thinking about the world. It raises a thousand questions that could have different answers. What does God look like? Why is the sky blue and how does the sun rise every morning? Why do men kill each other or love each other? Why, why, why? There is a truth beyond all the possible answers. But it's been lost. Someday, somebody's going to find out what it is. You're offering one of those expressions I'm rather used to. Don't think I am. I just think that the truth means something different to everyone. The sun don't rise every morning. The earth spins round it. That only makes sense if you know for sure the earth is round. But it is. Can't argue with that. But it ain't lost, either. Because I know it to be so. Knowing that is just a tiny part of what our planet is. I can imagine the biggest picture possible. Understanding without the limits we're held by. And that's why you're out here looking for a new sky. Let the eye point the way and I'll follow it. Follow it to what, exactly? There have... There have always been legends about places lost time with understanding far beyond our own. You're looking for El Dorado? Out here? We ain't exactly walking on the moon. There's people native to this land already living on it and have since time began. Just because we're strangers to it doesn't mean everyone is. Myths come from somewhere. Coronado, Seven Cities, Tanis, Hidden Cibola, sitting at the headwaters of the wellspring of knowledge. There's truth at that center. See? Now that's your truth. I think I'm content worrying about who may fall in the river tomorrow and how to pull them out, as that's my job. Leave the myths to the professionals. I deserve that. A little. You know, your unwillingness to think about the world beyond what you see and feel is a truth with its own limitations. So you see my point. Maybe I ought to ask someone else to teach me to shoot a rifle. <laughs> you ain't asked me yet, have you? Will you? Yeah, we'll see. I laid back down after that, and I had the strangest dream. It's leaving me as I try to write it down. It's nonsense now, but at the time it made sense. I understood it. I was in the desert, and I was lost, but I wasn't afraid. The sky was a fathomless indigo. As I looked up into it, I knew that something was up there. Something was looking back down at me standing tiny and still with my boots in the dust. And it knew me. I still wasn't afraid, not even staring up into the vast expanse of the sky and what lay beyond it, because I wasn't alone. Oliver was there with me, next to me, his hand in mine, but also, also with me, though I hardly knew what that means. I knew we were united, 
I knew I couldn't let anything happen to him. For a moment, I understood what he's looking for, what his search means. The vast hidden truth of the world was laid in front of our eyes. Together, we understood it. And then... And then he was gone. And I was afraid. A deep dread. I awoke with it still in my mind, and it has followed me down the water. The other side of hope is the certainty that something terrible is going to happen. I have no reason to think it's true. The thought that it might be is absurd. I haven't woken up today as a prophet. But... The water is clear and cold. The sky is blue. Our boat cuts through it, swift and certain, taking us south. A crew of ten, on a journey with no destination. I watch him. He watches me. And I can only hope that I'm wrong. Thank you for listening to Superstition. Have you, too, set off on a journey with no end destination, only to meet someone unexpected and frustrating and intriguing on the way that you could never have dreamed of meeting? Or did you just enjoy the episode? Tell us about it. Tweet us at podsuperstition, send us an email at superstitionpod at gmail.com, or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. It really helps people find the show. We'll see you in two weeks for episode five, Best Kept Locked.